in the past, often e-commerce was just another channel, right? So it was treated like another store, it was something that was also important, but equal to other touch points, right? And from, from my perspective, this has significantly changed because it's not only about providing a web shop where somebody's buying, it's about customer engagement. No matter if you are a retailer or if you are a brand or if you're a manufacturer, the digital channel is your only outreach point for most businesses out there. Hello and welcome to the latest episode from the Valtec Cafe team, during which we'll uncover the realities of commoditized technologies and find out how to unlock the real value from your products. I'm Tizzy Philp, and today I'm joined by Pascal Harder, SVP of Commerce at Valtec, and Dirk Hurig, founder and CEO of Commerce Tools. Together, we'll take a look at the core challenges facing businesses today, the impact of the more commonly known composable architectures, and what commoditization means for the companies building the best new products on the market. So first of all, let's start with uh, Pascal and doing a little bit of scene setting. What are the main issues facing B2C businesses today? And how have we seen those challenges evolve during the pandemic? Yeah, Tizzy, that's, that's an interesting question. I think a lot of B2C businesses are and have been looking to either start or grow the way they interact with their customers directly. And obviously, digital commerce is playing a big role in that. And I think the pandemic has only sped up that development and the, and the need for businesses to find different channels to interact with their customers and their end users. And yeah, the, and the pandemic, as I said, has, has really accelerated that because some of the other channels that they typically relied on were closed down. Uh, so it really showed which companies, which businesses were already kind of set up properly to use a multi-channel approach and which businesses didn't have that capability yet and were really relying on a retail or a distributed channel to reach their end customers. Yeah, maybe to add to that, I think already in 2018 or 19, we, we all used to say that the change of pace is only going to increase. And then the pandemic hit in, right? And it was a, another catalyst and accelerator at a scale that, that nobody would have thought, um, especially just in the case of e-commerce, right? So what we are talking about today. And a lot of customer behavior has changed in 2020 significantly. There, there, there's a study from Alvarez and Marshall from February um, 2021, so this year, very uh, up to date, that said that 44% of European consumers have bought in 2020, so during the pandemic, or I, I should say because of the pandemic, for the first time. This is such a huge number, and I think all of us as digital natives, right, I think already five years ago, buying things online had been the just de facto standard. But if we look at the, the sheer amount of people that experienced online shopping and got used to it over the course of the last year for the first time, this is a significant change. And, and that obviously is a challenge for the businesses who had not been well prepared for e-commerce um, already before. And I think there are a couple of other challenges that just have increased. Um, I'm not sure if it's because of the pandemic or if it's just with the pandemic. But for example, the loyalty that consumers, especially in B2C environments, are having is very low. 
right? If somebody can provide a product at a better service, maybe for even a better price, then the willingness to switch from the provider that you had been used to shopping before to somebody who is giving you a better offer is just very easy, right? So this is a very small, small step for most of the people out there. And that makes it challenging for everybody who, who is out there. So how do you get the attention of the customer and how can you provide something um, that they will buy on your site and that they also stay engaged with you and come again and, and, and buy again and buy again because this is at the end where as a company you make the money with. And last but not least, the market is so competitive that when somebody sees that there is some friction in a specific industry, in a specific offering, it's very likely that a week later, you will see somebody who provides an offering um, to especially solve this problem, right? And this is the environment where everybody now needs to live in, in a business world and figure out how can my business now not only, only compete, but how can I continue to grow um, and, and set my organization up in the long term? You came up with some really good points there, Dirk, and I actually just want to circle back on a couple of them. The first one was talking about the importance of customer experience and being able to provide a better customer experience than your competitors. But the pandemic has also hit us all financially. So how much do you think it really comes down to customer experience and how much is it really a conversation about price? You know, Ultimately, consumers are going to go where they can get the product cheaper, or do you think that's not necessarily the case? I think that the problem with this answer is that I think it's both true, which, which is then the answer that nobody wants to hear, but it depends. So the truth is it depends on the category. If it's commodity products, um, it's about price availability and the delivery time, right? So the, the service that is provided around. If it's just a toilet paper, if it's a salad, if it's stuff that you're just consuming and, and where you know which product um, is important for your household or that you get used to. It's about price and availability and the service down below. If it is about products that you feel more emotionally attached to that make a difference, it either might be that it's personally a hobby of yours, right? So uh, it might be photography, it might be music. Um, then it's not only about the price. It's often about the product. It's about the service around. It's about the experience. This is also important to even get the attention of the customer, right? So, so probably they will never find you if you're not having an offering that is really convincing to them in the long run. So therefore, I think it's also important for customer acquisition in the long term to provide an outstanding customer experience, but it depends on what you are. If you're a fast delivery grocery company, then it's more about the time of delivery and the price and availability. Um, if it's something that you're more emotionally connected to, because of your business, about your hobbies, or it's a very specific brand that you feel attached to, then it's far more about um, specific experiences and additional services that you need to provide. I don't think we can underestimate the power of that brand affinity point and how people feel about brands and how important that is to invest in that. Another thing that you mentioned, and I'm going to direct this towards you, Pascal, we've talked about the differences between the companies that have been able to thrive and those who have struggled a bit more over the last 18 months to two years. What do you think has been the difference between those companies from a success standpoint? What has made some able to make that shift successfully and others less so? And why is that? Yeah, I, I think there is two answers to that story. Uh, one is obviously the ones that were already pretty modern in the way they are using technology or the way they have set up their organization and those kind of things, they were obviously, 
you know, better prepared to adapt or to pivot or to make use of the, uh, the opportunities that are out there. But that's always the case. Yeah, that's, that's in any, any year, any moment in time, uh, the ones that, that are agile enough to change with the market needs are obviously the ones that come out on top. I think another thing what's really interesting, what we've seen over the past year, is that the ones that are willing to experiment and willing to maybe put a service out there that it's not the optimal experience, but it, it does answer the immediate question that the consumers have right now, are also the ones that are, have been very successful. And I think we've seen a lot of these not very high-tech solutions, but solutions that do cater for an urgent need have been very successful. And I've made appointments you know, through buggy systems, but at least I could make an appointment because that was necessary for me to be able to go into a store, for instance. Or I've been purchasing products through a shop that was spun up really quickly because that was the only channel through which that certain product was available. And I think that shows that, you know, that, that companies need to be a little bit more brave in experimenting, in putting something out there, see how it works, see how the customers are reacting to it, and then adapting it rather than wait until you know, they have a fully polished solution or a fully polished product to present to their customers. And I think that's very interesting. If we go a little bit deeper into those businesses then, those that have been able to pivot and turn things around quickly, how much of that is down to their organizational setup, their ways of working and their approach to tech? And how much of that is really about the technology itself? So when we talk about companies that are agile already, they were able to respond quickly. They were able to take that experimentation approach and able to turn something around rapidly when it was needed. Or is it because these companies that might be a little bit more left in the dark ages from a, a technology st- a way of working standpoint, but they have a great tech stack in place. What's the real reason behind the success? Is it technology or is it way of working? Yeah, I think these two aspects go hand in hand. There is obviously something called Conway's law that you know the, the way a solution or the way a system is set up is a reflection of the way an organization is structured and the other way around. So I think these two things go hand in hand we typically see that very siloed organizations also have very siloed systems and very multidisciplinary organizations typically have a much more modern, maybe microservices-based architecture at their disposal because, yeah, these things are connected, I would say. I think we have to point out that we're not saying in this conversation that those people who were able to respond to the pandemic really well have completely nailed everything and have been completely fine now. It's both the people who struggled during the pandemic and those who have weathered the pandemic but come out of the end relatively unscathed. There are still challenges and changes that companies in both situations need to make going forward, aren't there? There's still challenges that they need to, to face and changes they need to make. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's go a little bit further into how both of those scenarios play out for both companies. How can they start tackling those issues? You know, we've talked about the challenges faced by these clients over the last few months and the challenges that are facing those teams now. What are the approaches that we're seeing to solving some of those challenges? We've talked about the e-commerce drive, the new understanding of Mac technologies. What's really important now? 
feel free to, to chime in here, but I think... Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I think uh, the quick answer is that with this domain of digital commerce becoming more mature, we are barely ever in a kind of a greenfield situation. So more and more, it is about you know helping organizations making the shift from whatever they've been creating over the past 10 or 15 or 20 years and, and help them move from that situation into a new situation that allows them to be more agile and, and, and more responsive. And this you know, rarely ever is a big bang migration from, from the old situation to a new situation, but it needs to be more granular because you know, systems have been com- become complex, uh, processes have been become complex, and the, the importance of the digital channel has, has grown so much that you know, companies cannot afford to lose any of their business while transitioning systems or transitioning approaches or introducing new channels. So it needs a, a gradual, iterative migration or move to new systems or the introduction of, of new capabilities. What I would like to, to describe quickly maybe is that I see three different types of companies in the retail space before the pandemic. And maybe the first two are just a subtype um, of the same group. So there's those that already had been more or less successful in e-commerce. does not have to be a pure play, but they already had a significant commerce business and 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 often already since more than a decade, right? So they had their experiences um, and they have some maturity. The differences um, within that subgroup is that you have there some that already have a very modern organization, right? So Pascal already mentioned Conway's Law. They have an agile setup. It's very cross-functional. And this also reflects the software that they have built to tackle their business needs, right? So it's, it's often already had been in the cloud or was cloud native to some degree. It was already very flexible. Um, they played around with multiple dis- business models and, and touch points. For this group, depending on their business model, right, if they had been in swimwear and summer vacation closes, obviously also they had a lot of business challenges itself in 2020, but operationally, they had been well prepared to react quickly. And we saw many of them shifting their business models, uh, becoming mask and and medical supply providers, at least for the time being, um, provided infrastructure and logistics to others and so on. They already had that flexibility. And now after the pandemic, Their focus is all about scale, about focusing on new features, on new business models, and so on. So they they are already in a position of strength that they can now build on top of. The other group that also had been able to manage the pandemic from an e-commerce perspective more or less successful already had also been in the e-commerce space, maybe also since 10 or 20 years, um, large known brands, but on more inflexible monolithic systems. And they probably already thought in 2018 or 19, if it isn't time for a modernization of their systems, because they got challenged for this increasing pace of change, right? So more flexibility, scalability, new touch points, and so on. And they postponed it for budgeting reasons. Um, there have been more important and higher prioritized projects and, and many other good points. And yes, they also came through the pandemic because of the shift from offline to online, and they could handle that. 
But when it came to flexibility, right, so trying out new things, implementing, for example, click and collect functionality if they had not that had before, very, very quickly, this was for them more problematic and more challenging and took them more time. And now as we're moving out of this situation and getting back to the new normal, their goal will be or is already, and, and, and we see that significantly increasing, that they are replatforming and modernizing all stacks, not only the commerce platform, I would say everything across the customer experience, but also on more back-end system-related uh, environments when it comes to logistics. Right. So th th those are the two, two different e-commerce players. And then there is, unfortunately, a third group of those who have not done e-commerce um, or, or, or just saw this as a, a very small and not so important channel and that had been relying heavily on their more yeah, traditional business model. And, and over the last couple of years, they had all these discussions, how important is e-commerce actually really for their business? How important is their, their offline store? And it was all these very abstract strategic discussions that did not make them move forward. And for them, all of these discussions suddenly stopped, right? I think this is what, what Pascal uh, uh, also said. Now they get at a point of no return, right? In 2020, there was no discussion anymore if online is relevant or not to their business because offline was dead. So they had to come up with short-term creative hot fixes on at least providing some business at all. And for them now, as we're getting out of the pandemic, this will be, I believe, a survival game. So um, there, there, there is no time to wait. We see a lot of them trying to shift their businesses now around and to adapt. But I believe that we will also see a lot of businesses. For those, it is just too late, right? So that needed to have started um, with the whole transformation already five years ago. And I believe these are the, the three different types of companies right now that we're seeing with different, different approaches and, and, and also different positions um, that they're having but all at the same race. Yeah, it's so clear the way that you outline that, Dirk. Really good. And I want to talk now about, we've focused on the companies trying to get through the last few months and the companies who are in a state of recovery, let's call it. Let's talk about the drive towards the creation of these new technologies. We've seen the emergence of a lot of new techs over the last few months as well, of course, driven by demand. It's no surprise. We've also seen a wider market shift towards composable architectures. So what do you think these market changes mean for these tech companies and how are they and their products being consumed by the market now? Good question. <laughs> I think the whole situation that uh, I've tried to describe and also that, uh, that Dirk was describing earlier about modernization of technology and alignment between the way, the way your platform looks and the way your organization looks it's quite a big shift from the typical siloed approach that we've been used to, a much more multidisciplinary, integrated approach where technology is truly becoming an enabler rather than a, a separate topic or a separate uh, goal. The technology is really moving into the, into the commodity space where it, its only reason of existence is enabling the business. And I think that's, that's a really interesting shift that really allows also us as, uh, as implementation partners and uh, software vendors like commerce tools and clients to look you know really differently at how they use technology and and how they how they try to get the benefits from the use of technology what i think has shifted and corona just being an accelerator of that 
is that in the past, often e-commerce was just another channel, right? So it was treated like another store. It was something that was also important, but equal to other touch points, right? And from, from my perspective, this has significantly changed because it's not only about providing a webshop where somebody's buying, it's about customer engagement. It's the main and, and, and sometimes even only way how you can directly interact with your consumers. No matter if you are a retailer or if you are a brand or if you're a manufacturer, the digital channel is your only outreach point for most businesses out there. And when in the past, your IT department or your e-commerce department, yes, it had a revenue component, but it was also heavily seen as a cost center. And now it's a core asset. It's the heart of the business. The heart of the business is not producing a specific product or selling a shoe or ensuring that you have the right t-shirt colors and sizes in stock. Yes, this is also a task that are important, but you need to figure out how does your brand stay relevant and is engaged with your customers. And this is about digital, right? So, and therefore this becomes the heart of the most organizations. And if we believe that this is true, what I truly do or honestly do is then this shifted to a kind of best of breed world, right? So where the monolithic approaches where we said, okay, we, we just need something to run our web shop is officially dead, right? So to, to some degree, those platforms probably, or these, these systems just don't know it yet. But this is only because of renewal terms. Nobody goes this pass anymore from the beginning on. Uh, everybody who's now moving forward looks for, what is the best solution or component that I can have to solve a specific problem or a specific challenge? And the customer journey is full of those kind of challenges. So I need to figure out what is the best product that is solving each of those kind of items. And this is where another challenge comes in for the companies out there to evaluate in this composable architecture, um, how, how it's today called, where you combine all of these best on-breed toolings which is the one that's best suited to my business needs and also the one that I can roll out, customize and scale with in the long term. And, and there's approach to this, how they roll this out. It's called a strangler pattern, which means you often don't go for a big bang approach and, and wait a year or one and a half and then you relaunch everything, but you replace feature by feature of your existing offering to something that is more suitable, that is more flexible, but you do that in a very iterative and agile way. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think what's interesting to see if, you know, the, the way companies are evaluating those solutions, where a few years ago, this was, this was all about features, right? The, the more features a, a solution had, the better or the more valuable that solution was. Whereas... I says here now, companies are much more looking at, okay, so by selecting this technology or this best of breed component in my overall composable architecture, which capabilities am I adding to my team or which capabilities am I providing for my end users? And it's much more about flexibility or scalability or extendability rather than how many different ways do I have to create a promotion or how many field types can I define in a product model or those kind of things, right? 
And I think that's also the, the direction that you guys are taking with Commerce Tools, Dirk, if I understand it correctly. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. You mentioned that topic also a little bit earlier when it comes to commoditization, right? So how much is the product itself a commodity? Or how of an overall important role does it play just from the feature offering? And this is definitely an outcome, I would say, out of these uh, composable commerce, commerce architectures. But from my perspective, it also comes from, to some degree, even from a strategic business approach. And when we built our platform, multiple things that we wanted to solve. But one of those was that we said an e-commerce platform, it should enable companies, right, for, for whatever they want to do. It's, it's about making things possible for their customers, right? So this can be scaling, growing quickly, being able to handle peak times. It can be providing unique customer experiences on multiple touch points. It can be that you want to launch new business models that before had not been possible that go just beyond the web shop when you think about IoT scenarios and so on. So hundreds of things that need to be enabled. And a commerce platform needs to make sure that it's not standing in the way of this enablement of getting things done. So it has to be helpful. And when companies want to build something, and, and I think this is probably a point that we haven't touched yet, is that you don't see your, your commerce offering just as a project and as a channel. But if as a company, you start to see this as a product that you are building together with your software vendors that you are selecting, with your partners like Vitek that you're working with and with your own team, then you need something that allows you to easily build, right? If you're always breaking a system when you try to, to, to change it or do something else with it, then it's not helpful. Then it's not a commodity. Then the system makes itself more important than it should be, uh, but from, from just a different, different perspective. It needs to be easy to get to understand. And this also requires a very simple onboarding, right? If you need to onboard developers six plus months, that's not helpful in these times where it's all about speed and digital transformation, right? And if you can't easily change a function, um, you, you mentioned promotions, right? If a specific promotion function is not flexible enough for your business needs, then you need to be able to replace it, take something else or write your own one, but you need to be able to do this quickly and especially without crashing everything else that's, that's around it. And if you agree to all of that, then the only outcome there can be that your platform itself has to become a commodity to provide real value, right? So the commoditization itself is a core piece of that value because then you can focus on what you want to build with it. You can focus on innovation. And the true effort then for, for us as a software provider is to build something that is fully flexible down below, right? So it's, it's the architecture that makes it different. It's not the feature. Right? We do e-commerce since 25 years, and I don't mean specifically me, but the market has since 25 years commerce platforms out there, and all of those are able to calculate a card or to provide you a product. Right? So there's nothing new about that. And retail, even before e-commerce, has not changed much in the last probably 200 years. Right? So there, there was always discounts. There was a Blue Monday when every blue jeans was 20% off and so on. It wasn't e-commerce who has invented those kind of things. Right? So it's, it's about enabling that for future business models and providing the systems and the knowledge that actually help our customers to get there. 
I'd like to go back to the commoditization piece in a second, but I just want to go a little bit further on something that you mentioned there, Dirk. Earlier in the podcast, we were talking about how the pandemic has accelerated, how businesses have had to change and adapt in order to respond to the last few months. And we've seen maybe 10 years of innovation over the last 18 months alone. Has the same happened on the flip side for tech companies and commerce providers? How much have these businesses had to accelerate their tools and offerings in response to the demand from the customer side? I would try to tackle that from the vendor perspective, and then maybe Pascal can share his view from from the agency side here. I believe we sit all in the same boat and just finger pointing to the others and say, oh, look at them. Now they have a big, big challenge. They need to be faster. It's a little bit short thinking because we're in the same situation, right? And, And everybody is. So therefore, you need to reflect what's actually happening out there, right? And if customers need to be faster, and on the one end, also the total cost of ownership are getting even more important to them because they probably have, uh, due to the pandemic, less money that they can can even spend and they need to focus all of that on innovation, then obviously they don't want to spend this in maintenance. They don't want to spend this in uh, hosting servers, in updates or in integrations, but really need to, to put the money actually where their value is. And this is in customer engagement and uh, in what's driving revenue. So from a vendor perspective, there's a lot of stuff on the one end on the product side, of course, where you try to make things even more flexible and even more faster. And I would say there we had been nothing else but in a very lucky position because nobody probably except, I don't know, maybe Bill Gates could say, oh, I saw that the global pandemic was coming um, and and we just had been in the lucky position that a couple of years earlier, we believed that e-commerce is just becoming more complex and that there are a lot of challenges and that a commerce platform needs to more operate or function like an operating system or a platform as a service than an out-of-the-box suited web shop. And by working on this flexibility, we had a pretty good position or offering for our customers already the years before the pandemic, but but obviously it was also helpful for our customers over the last 18 months and now when they're getting out of it. But but there are a lot of other things that have changed, right? So how are we providing enablement, right? So when we are not able to, to travel to our customers and to our partners, um, how are we supporting them within their geographics when all of their teams are suddenly working remote and they are not in one location anymore, but also our customer teams are spread all across the globe, right? If you before had to deal with a New York team, right? So now you have at the same customer to deal with a team that's probably in, in India, that's in Europe and distributed over the US in multiple kind of time zones. How do you provide all the education? How do we do our own procurement together with our customers and with our partners and so on? So there was a lot of organizational change that we had been going through. And as we had been fast growing, Over the years before, we already knew that we have to reinvent our organization on a yearly basis. In Corona, it was probably every four months um, that we reviewed what we have to do here and and, and to adjust. And so the the timeframes just became a little bit bit shorter. But everybody is affected one way or the other. And, And when we want to ensure that our customers are getting the most flexible and best platform out there that is suited to their business needs, then our organization behind also has to reflect this. Yeah, I think from an agency perspective, it's it's a little bit similar. And it's, it's, it's basically similar to what we've been talking about at the beginning, that this pandemic has been an accelerator for a lot of developments for our customers, but also you know, definitely internally. And as, as Dirk just pointed out, for, for vendors, that's the case. At agencies, it's the same thing. I mean, we also had to adapt to 
working with clients remotely rather than travel to them and, and you know, do workshops via virtual tools rather than being in the same room together. It, it really feels like one step back and then two steps forwards all of a sudden. Things came to a halt a little bit and then all of a sudden everybody realized that this was not going to be over in three or four weeks. This was going to take half a year or a year or longer. And uh, so organizations made their changes. They made changes to the way they wanted to interact with us, work with us. Uh, obviously, the digital channel has become much more important the way we've been talking about it. And I think, you know, indeed, the whole idea of uh, how to look at costs versus benefits of the digital channels has changed. And for some customers, the initial thought maybe was, you know, it doesn't really matter through which channel a t-shirt got bought or whatever, but the pandemic has shown that it actually does make a difference. The stores that were closed, you know, they still had to pay the rent for those stores and they still had to pay the staff. But shifting the transaction to the digital channel, if you were on a, on a platform that has a ref share model, doubled the total cost of ownership of that platform. And I think that has, you know, made a lot of companies realize that the digital channel has become so important that the way you look at how you create it, how you pay for it, how you look at it in the total customer journey has really shifted. And that has changed the conversations that we're having with our customers and our prospects about how to how to use a digital channel and how to organize around it. Okay, now I want to go back to the commoditization piece because that's essentially what this podcast is all about. How do we make sure that if these products are being seen as becoming commoditized, how do we ensure that it's not just a race to the bottom on price? And how do we prove that intrinsic value and shift that perception? From my perspective, it's all about the outcomes that you want to achieve, right? So technologies are not there just before because of the technology itself, right? You, you, you don't build this composable commerce architecture just to keep your development team happy, right? So it definitely helps uh, probably on the recruiting side, but it's all business-driven, right? And the business topics, um, though they are a lot and they are, are to some degree complex, I think they are still fairly understandable on the other side, right? It's about improving the customer experience, on responding faster if something is changing out there, on uh, playing around with new ideas, on trying a new business model. So you are building the engine down below that is supporting all of that. So for example, if you decide to create a car company, you're also not reinventing the brakes, right? So it's not that you say, okay, let's start with the braking system first. There are companies that provide them to you, right? Nobody is building the brakes. That's not where the differentiator is. Not, not even Tesla is creating their own type of brakes. There are suppliers who have best of breed components for this, right? So there's uh, somebody who's providing the steering components, somebody is providing the batteries, somebody is providing the engine. And then it's all about the composition, and then about the user experience and specific software and automotive. This can be entertaining systems that can be autonomous driving. This can be security. This can be specific leasing or, or, or usage flexibility services that you're not owning the car anymore, but that you have a shared model and so on. The same goes for your e-commerce platform and your whole digital customer journey that's even in this automotive case also connected with that because it's not a black and white anymore. It's a gradient shift between devices and, and touch points. So therefore, all of these projects and the architectures 
are not there because it's just the next trend or it sounds more modern or it's now time to just change something and the change of the sake. It's to provide core value and to answer crucial business requirements. And I think by focusing on that, what is it what we want to achieve? How fast can we achieve it? And how do we get there the fastest? Then you will naturally end, at least at the larger companies, at a more composable architecture because it's giving you the best for solving each of your problems, but also in the fastest way to, to achieve the business outcome. So I think a lot of people listening to this podcast will say, okay, it all sounds great, but in reality, what are the next steps that we need to take to make this happen? Yes, we want to improve our e-commerce capabilities. We want to move towards a composable architecture approach, but how do we actually make that happen in reality? And maybe that's where the partnership aspect comes in here. We've talked about the relationship between the vendor and the agency. Where does the partnership value really come from? From our perspective, it's all about partners, right? So for the enablement, um, the, the enhancement, customization, and also our own go-to-market. And from my perspective, this is a win-win-win situation for everybody. On the one end, not every company can build their own commerce platform. And with commerce tools, I would even argue that probably nobody has to because we provide you something where you can build your own platform, but you don't need to reinvent commodity functionality where you would end up with the same that we would provide, but you lose probably a year and investment in core capabilities instead of focusing on things that are unique. Right? So that, that's the one piece in there where you say, okay, let's take best of breed software and then let's build around what really makes us unique or where there's not a product that is fitting our requirement. On the other end, you probably don't have the experience of 100 plus enterprise projects and their pitfalls. And maybe you also don't have the capacity to deliver on time and in quality. And you should not have, right? So maybe if you're really, really, really large, then you might have a development team with that capability. But often in that cases, we see that they are already busy with other topics and that they need a lot of support on core architectural and delivery topics, right? And from my perspective, as a customer, you're getting the best of both but you can still build it the way you want, right? So it's more like a hybrid model, right? So it's building together, building together with the vendors that you're selecting, building together with the partners or the agency that you're selecting. You own your architecture and your technology, but you're able to move fast on the time. And that also goes back to the car analogy, right? You won't reinvent every wheel, right? You get them from Michelin or wherever and don't say, hey, let's start with the wheel. Let's start with what really matters and then let's see who's helping us to, to get there. Yeah, I totally agree. It is about indeed distinguishing between, you know, what's the what's the commodity features, functionalities, capabilities that you can buy in the market from a provider like Commerce Tools. What are the commodity capabilities that you can get from an agency like like Valtech? And and uh, as you said, Dirk, we do hundreds of projects, so we can also see and be really critical on, you know what is commodity capabilities and where are the differentiators for you as a brand or for you as a company that validate investing in it and creating custom functionality around it and those kind of things so that we can be smart about the stuff that we can reuse and that, that standard and be innovative where it is needed to be unique in your market. And I guess that's indeed the capabilities that we can add as a partner while also understanding 
really well understanding the capabilities that a platform like Commerce Tools can provide. Okay, I think that's a perfect place to end. Dirk, Pascal, thanks so much for being on the podcast and I'm looking forward to catching up with you both again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dirk. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this latest episode from Valtech Cafe. We've got lots of episodes to help bring you up to speed with what we mean by Mac. But if you'd like to know more about what a composable architecture approach could mean for your business, why not get in touch with us? Until next time, thanks for listening.